All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton, and it's Thursday, so we are digging deeper into the Psalms. This week, we start book three of the Psalms with Psalm 73. And this is one of the first of the Psalms of Asaph. And Asaph is one of those guys who was brought in to do the singing. And so with the singing, he also gets to be the chief musician, maybe even the choir master that David writes some of them to and is in charge of even writing several of the psalms, as is done in many cases when we have music people who want to be able to help with the worship of God. So we simply have a song, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are, they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell up through fatness, their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice, loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children." But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant, I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You shall put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So far, Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is one of those psalms that every Christian is able to sing, regardless of what generation they are in. It doesn't matter if you're in 2021, 1921, 1221, or even 121, shortly after the time of Ignatius and Polycarp and the end of the Apostolic Father's age. It doesn't matter because this is what is seen by most people. And we can even go back even into the Old Testament and this is exactly what is seen, which is why we have it here. The psalmist says, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is the course of life as a Christian. 
is we look about and we see people with more stuff than we have. And sometimes, yes, we get envious. Sometimes we are envious of the arrogant because they walk around like they own everything. And unfortunately, sometimes they do actually own everything. But it's the arrogance that gets them. It's their pride, as we'll see later on in the psalm. But he is going full-on confession mode here that I was envious of them because I saw how the wicked prosper. And I'm over here wishing I could have even a portion of that. And how do the wicked prosper? The imagery here is beautiful. Asaph was definitely a man who knew how to work descriptive words. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. That was the sign of a well-rounded person, is that you were built well and you were sleek. Not necessarily slovenly fat, because that would be bad. But you were, you know, we would maybe call it big-boned. But definitely built stocky, at the least. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. It seems like the more evil stuff they do, the more they're rewarded with good. It's not that they're punished. They don't get any punishment. So then pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Because the more they get away with, the more they want to try to get away with. And that's exactly what happens in the world today and the day of all time. Everybody wants to see what they can do, how far they can push the envelope before something snaps back. How far can we stretch the law until it snaps back and hits us in the face like a rubber band? But the psalmist says, wait, they don't even get the snap back. They just keep stretching and stretching and stretching. And that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like they have nothing that is wrong with them, nothing that can hurt them, nothing to make them repent of their actions. And therefore, verse 10, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. They can do whatever they want, but because of their arrogance, because of their pride, because of their insistence on violence, they can get away with whatever they want. And unfortunately, the world has not changed. From the time of Asaph to now, the people who are proud and go after what they want with no regard for anyone else do seem to have nothing but good. And so he says, verse 13, All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. He says, I have tried to live by the law of God. And I get nothing but pain and suffering and rebuke for it. In vain have I tried to follow God. Because if I just acted like them, everything would be fine because it would be perfect. And that's where Satan's lies bring us, is that he makes us think that because they don't get in trouble, there is no trouble. 
Because if we try to do it, well, we're not them, so we're going to get in trouble along the way. But it just seems to go on and on as we go further on that the more people get away with, the more they're going to push. And the more people try to live a Christian life following the law of God, the more and more trouble and heartache it's going to have on us. And that comes the paradox, is that those who seem to have everything just handed to them and get away with everything will end up burning in hell for eternity because of their pride, because of their violence, because of all of the evil that they did. But the ones who are put down, who are rebuked, who are ridiculed in this life for trying to follow after Jesus, they will live in glory. Very much the idea behind the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man had everything he wanted, sumptuously feasted every day. And Lazarus was a beggar at his doorstep whose only joy in life was having the dogs lick his sores. What happens when they both die? The rich man is in anguish in hell. Lazarus is up in Abraham's bosom. He's getting the reward that he didn't get on this earth. And this is one of the biggest theologies we have to wrestle with, is that doing the right thing in this world usually gets us in trouble, usually gets us behind. But does that mean we stop doing it? Absolutely not. We keep going. We keep doing what we are supposed to be doing because that is what God wants us to to do. And he says, through the Sermon on the Mountain Beatitudes, blessed are you when people persecute you, when they revile you and do all kinds of evil to you for my name's sake. For so they treated the prophets who were before you. And if the prophets are so revered that they're in heaven, well, obviously, those who are ridiculed just like them will have the same reward as long as they remain faithful. And that's what Asaph is struggling with. That is what he is wrestling with here, especially as we get into verses 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. It seemed hopeless until I went and actually looked at God's word, until I actually heard God's word and his promises and his faithfulness to us, then I discerned their end. Then I understood, because coming from myself, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to understand this. Only being revealed from God that this is the way it happens, then do we know that we can truly be rewarded. Because what happens? Well, we continue on in verse 18. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. That yes, they're on a slippery slope with their lives. And eventually they will slide down the hill and they will end up in the pit of hell where they will be in torment 
for all of eternity. They will be ruined. They are destroyed in a moment because that's exactly what happens. And we see it in our culture all the time nowadays is that as soon as somebody, even as powerful as you might be, as long as, as soon as you say something that the mainstream doesn't like, you're automatically done. You might as well kiss the future of your career goodbye because it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're a star athlete, if you're a movie star, if you're a singer, whatever, once you make that wrong choice, they destroy your career. And we've seen it happen over and over again. And so verse 22, he realizes exactly what his place was before God. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Very similar to Daniel chapter 4, as Nebuchadnezzar, after praising himself for bringing Babylon up to such a great stature and grandeur among the nations, gets thrown out into the beast as he loses his mind and eats grass like a donkey for seven years until his senses come back to him again. Brutish and ignorant, like a beast. That's exactly what we are when we try to figure out how we can be both Christian and get away with everything. You can't do both. So we finish up in 23 on to the end. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire beside you. Once he realizes exactly the issue, once he gets on the other side of the wrestling with Satan's false theology, he understands and he praises God for it because there is another one else in heaven besides him. And there's nothing else on earth that we can desire that is greater than him. My flesh and my heart may fail. We're going to sin. That's guaranteed. I can guarantee you that just like I can guarantee that if Jesus doesn't come back first, you will die because you're a sinner. And Christians are sinners saved by grace, but still sinners. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this goes on and on throughout the Psalms, that we have God as my portion. And so he says that those who are far from you shall fall, but those who are close, those are the ones who will be blessed. And that's why we wrestle with theology, so that we might be closer to God, that he might bless us. Well, this is Pastor Doug Minton thanking you for digging deeper in the Psalms with me this week. Come back next week as we go into Psalm 74.